Good morning. Have you ever done something as a child or even as an adult and somebody responds with, where's your head? Or why didn't you use common sense? Now, this isn't talking about the uh, old article by Thomas Paine that helped uh, influence the American and French Revolution. This is what I'll call common wisdom or wisdom of the world. An agreed upon or somewhat agreed upon a group of ways in which you do this, you get certain results. And every culture has them, uh, whether it's in our day and age, uh, the long skinny one on the right, you hear that saying like, well, yeah, it's common sense. That makes you go faster. But that may not be so common for a place without any automobiles. Regardless, when what happens when that wisdom of the world or that common sense comes into a conflict with Jesus and what the scriptures teach. What we're going to see is that happen in what Paul is addressing today. And in it, we're going to see that Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. And he counters the wisdom and power of every culture And so this is the continuation of our series, The Future Present, establishing the church to live now in light of Jesus' future kingdom. Paul had just um, started this letter uh, discussing with them the need for them to not uh, divide over opinion of uh, style differences of different communicators. And so he's continuing trying to establish them in unity. And he's trying to establish them in unity, not around the wisdom in which they were raised or the power and prestige of what they had. But he's trying to um, ground them and center them around the gospel and how Jesus is that. So let's go ahead and read uh, verses 20 through 25. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So there's two groups of people that Paul is addressing here. And these are groups of people that have specific expectations or desires that they want to see met or common sense. Um, And neither of them have led them to God through that wisdom. So you have the Jews um, who are demanding a sign, and the gospel was a stumbling block or a scandal to them. So what was scandalous about it? Why were they looking for signs? You have to remember, the Jewish people have signs as foundational pieces of their belief system. Whether it's going back to Abraham choose, being chosen by God, Moses at the burning bush, the, ten, the plagues, the Ten Commandments, the crossing of the Red Sea, 
Um, all of these, God is creator, magnificent, powerful examples of God at work. You see this play out in the ministry of Jesus where somebody comes up to them and says, hey, we demand a sign from you. We want this. That's what Paul's addressing here. Now, for the Greeks, it was different. The Greeks were seeking wisdom. I mean, when you think of Greco-Roman culture, you think of all the philosophers, Cicero, Aristotle, um, all of them with their different ways of thinking and talking, and they prided themselves in not only their wisdom, but their rhetorical abilities, how articulate, how eloquent they were. Because remember, this is Paul linking the stylistic differences, and he's bringing that in, and he's telling them, no, that's not what you're going to get here. While the Jews demanded a sign, what Paul preached was what? Verse 23, Christ crucified. And this was a stumbling block to the Jews. The idea that the Messiah, their Savior, common sense for them was that this Messiah was going to come and overtake the Roman Empire and reset up the Israeli kingdom with their kings and all that fun again. So for their Christ to be crucified, which is to be cursed because they're hanging on a tree according to the Mosaic law, that was a scandal. Stumbling block literally means scandalous. That's scandalous to them. But for the Gentiles, it was foolish to them. It was folly. The idea that wisdom is going to be personified in a person that is not in a prestigious platform, but is hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and is part of this obscure religion out in Jerusalem and Israel, that's foolishness to them. But what is, Paul says that Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God is um, the power to, for those who are being saved. So Paul is addressing wisdom and power in his day and age. What, what, where they get that from and he's countering it with the gospel. Now, we have different pieces of wisdom or common sense or wisdom of the world that we um, hear all the time that if we live according to these ways, we're going to get what we desire. And like Paul, we as a gospel people have to understand them, but dissect them and, and funnel them through the gospel. So we're going to look at two aspects real briefly. We're going to look at the, uh, the wisdom or the gospel of self and the wisdom and gospel of cancellation. Now, there's a lot of different places we can go with this, but I want to focus on the, God, the wisdom of self. This is very, very prominent in our day. This is the idea that I myself, in, within myself, I am the source of life and if I'm not able to live out that essence, then the solution is self-help. Okay? So this is where you see sayings like, I am good. Or, I am enough. I am awesome. I am, I am enough. I am, I am accepted. Okay? You have all these positive statements that are coming our way. Now, what I want to agree with them in is that, Inherently, there is goodness to humanity. We see that biblically in the what we call the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, 
God, the unique thing about humanity and all of creation is that God breathed his own life in them in chapter 2, but we're created in God's image, which means that we have an inherent goodness to us, okay? So that's important, that's significant. Every person that you ever lay eyes on will be an image bearer of God, so they have an inherent goodness to that. The problem, though, is that the, the wisdom of self has no category for sin. In the gospel, not only are we inherently good, but we also inherit sinfulness, rebellion against God. Now the effects of that means we are broken, we are marred, life is distorted, and every single aspect of life has been affected by the parasitic nature of sin. And so while... The, the wisdom of self misses that and just says, I am, I am enough inherently, therefore I have to live that out. The gospel says, no, wait a second. Like, no, we are actually enemies of God. Something has to be done about this in order for me to be satisfied, in order for me to be enough. The wisdom of self skips the um, sin and cross and just goes from inherent goodness to the inherent blessings of how God created us. But it needs to funnel through the cross in order for it to be robust and true. Those are distortions of truth, not truth itself. So while I inherently am good. I also inherited a sinfulness. And that's where I also need the gospels, that in the gospel of Jesus, in his power and in his wisdom, he came, lived a perfect life to deal with the very sin that distorts me from being who God's called me to be. That the rebellion against God that has made me his enemy Jesus on the cross dealt with that so I can be acceptable. So I want you to I want you to think this out as you see continued self-help or the wisdom of self in our day and age. There are two words that I want you to add either to the beginning or end of any of those statements. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ. In Christ. Those sayings are true in Christ. I am good in Christ. Now, I'm not good knowing that my sin is there, but I'm good because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has made me good. I am acceptable. Yeah, I'm not acceptable inherently. I'm acceptable because he has given me his acceptable, I, I, he who was acceptable became sin for me so that I could be acceptable. I could be enough. He has done what he's done and given me the effects of that. So I can look at those and add in Christ. It takes distorted truths and makes them gospel truths. So this is the source of myself. If the essence of who I am in the wisdom of self, the sin of the word or the sin is anything that gets in the way of that. And I need to undo those things. And once I undo enough of those, then I can be that. 
we need to know that it's not based on what I can do. It's based on what Jesus can do. What does he do in this passage? We see five times the word calling or chosen. So to those who are called, Christ the power of wisdom. Verse 24, verse 23, for consider your calling, brothers. 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised to bring nothing that we are so that human being can nothing boast. You and I do not have the solution we need in order to be good, be enough, be awesome, be acceptable. We need something outside of ourselves to fulfill ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves to satisfy ourselves. And that outside of us is not a new rule. It's a new ruler, Jesus himself, who pursues us, who's chosen us, who comes after us while we were yet in our sin. Christ died for us. So the wisdom of self is you are enough inherently, but the gospel comes and says, no, 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 you're actually more sinful than you'll ever understand. But because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, and placing your faith in that, you are more loved, more valuable, and more acceptable than you could ever dream of. God chose you. God loves you in the midst of so the gospel counters the wisdom of self, but it also counters the wisdom of cancellation. Now, oftentimes when we think of religion or legalism, we think of it in um, spiritual or religious context. We think it of, of different belief systems. But we're also in our day, we're seeing this play out not in churches. We're seeing it played out in the popular culture in what I'll call cancel culture. So cancel culture is, in essence, somebody does something wrong, there's an uproar about it, and then that person or whoever does something wrong gets expelled, kicked out of the camp, completely removed from, and never allowed to return. Now, I want to nuance this because there should be accountability for, for wrongdoing. So I'm not saying that this is lack of accountability. If something's said wrong, done wrong, incited poorly, whatever it may be, like those are, there should be accountability for that. But cancel culture takes accountability to the next level. And this is what I'll say about how the gospel counteracts that. I'm so thankful that God is not a cancel God. If he were, he would not have sent Jesus. He would not extend grace. He would look at us and say, hey, you've made this mess. Fix it yourself. But he didn't do that. In his love, he pursues us. He died on the cross while we were yet sinners. Christ was crucified so that I am not canceled, so that I am welcomed in. Cancel culture expels. Gospel culture welcomes. Open arms because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus saying, hey, welcome home. Yes, you're broken. Welcome to the family. That's the gospel. So whether you've been canceled, you're afraid of canceled, being canceled, or you are somebody that does the canceling, the gospel comes in and says, no, 
I pursue those who are, should be unpursuable. I forgive those who are unforgivable because I, Jesus, I have been crucified. And now I forgive you and accept you. That's Jesus in some ways as the wisdom of God. But he also counters this in, in being the power of God. Now, for them, it's not just power and miraculous signs. This was power regarding um, social power or prestige. For the Greeks, their prestige came from the rhetorical skills. Were they woosome? Were they winsome? Were they able to articulate their wisdom in a way? And what Paul does, and he just completely counters that. He turns it on its head. And in verse in chapter 2, 1 through 5, it says, He did not come proclaiming with lofty speech or wisdom. He was with you, verse 3, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4, And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. He wasn't going in line with the eloquence of his day. His power was not from the prestigiousness of his articulation or his position. The power for Paul came from five English words. Jesus Christ and him crucified. His power was not how well he articulated the message. It was in the message itself. He wasn't concerned about how, if he was as a great order. Many and elsewhere in scripture, he says, I don't come very strongly in person. I write much more strongly. Um, in a book of Acts, there's a time when people think somebody else is more powerful than he is because he's not very good at that part of it. So he's not a great order. He is not a charismatic communicator. But he knows and he trusts that the power of God is the message, not the messenger. He says it this way in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. He knew that if he proclaimed it, those that God had called and those that God had chosen would hear it, would accept it, and would profess faith in it. It wasn't in him. Soma, I think this speaks to us. I think often we're afraid to share the gospel for the right person, the right situation at the exact right moment because we don't want to offend or we don't want to shoo anybody away. We feel that it's more about the messenger than the message. That's an anemic gospel. That's one that's lacking power. But we don't have a gospel that lacks power. Even when you and I lack eloquence and knowing what to say, the message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, is the power for salvation, both presently being saved, as it says in verse 18, and one day salvation of being part of God's complete, renewed, and restored creation. I don't need to be eloquent. I need the gospel proclaimed. So we know it's going to be offensive to those who think they are without sin because it's going to help them see that they are sinful in need of a Savior. It's going to be preposterous to those that have their power come from their prestigious positions. But ultimately, the gospel is freeing for those who know their need and for whom God has chosen. 
chosen, excuse me. So our, our trust is not in us, it's in him. Jesus is the wisdom of God. We don't get our wisdom from ourselves. We don't have the solution ourselves. Jesus is our wisdom. But he's also our power. It's the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a stumbling block or it's scandalous because the crucified Christ is the risen Lord and Savior of the world. So if you have not yet put your faith or believed in that, the invitation for you is to know that you are created in the image of God, but you have rebelled against him. You have broken his laws and his heart. But while you are an enemy of God, Jesus pursued you to show you his love in his perfect life lived, his death on the cross for your sins, his, and he rose again, completely victorious over death, sin, and Satan. He, and one day he's going to return, and the world that you and I long for, the full satisfaction, is a guarantee for those who profess faith in Jesus. That's the invitation for you. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe the wisdom of self more than the wisdom of the gospel? This is a chance to believe the gospel. Do we participate in the wisdom of cancellation? This is a chance to understand how much we are forgiven so that we can forgive others and that we can trust in the power of the gospel. And that is part of what it means to live in the future present. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are, Jesus, the wisdom and power of God. You show us what it means to live rightly. You show us what it means that the gospel is the message which we need to continually be reminded of. So, Father, I pray that we will live this empowered by your Spirit in this moment to proclaim proudly those five words, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as a result, we are two words in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.